following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I don't know if you guys sense that God is trying to do some deeper things around here, and hopefully you guys are open to God doing some deeper things in your life. Um, I know we're living in times where it's, it's not a time to live uh, life as usual. It's time to go deeper. It's time to go wider. Uh, we're living at a time where God wants to pour out a spirit in our city through the available, through the ready, through the prepared ones. Much like a, a wave, you know, if you, if, if you surf or know about it, you know, surfers are out there and they're waiting for a swell, the right swell to come in. And... Um, I feel in the land, a lot of folks are saying, I'm not going to the beach. There's no, there's no waves. Why would I do that? Why would I bring my board? Why would I even get in the water? But the song said, those who wait upon the Lord, right? We're talking about God doing things to those who wait. And uh, when I think of the early church, in fact, the birthday of the church was the day of Pentecost. That was the church's birthday. And a bunch of believers in an upper room waiting waiting on God, literally waiting, praying and waiting. The word is tarry in the book of Acts. Tarry, just waiting on God, waiting, waiting. As they waited, God honored them waiting and God poured out and did a profound thing. I think that's a huge part of our life. It's a need in our life. We live in a time where we have a pill for everything. We got a quick fix. If you're tired, grab a quick latte. We got a cure for everything on the fly right now. We're a very now society. But when it comes to the power of God in your life, you got to wait sometimes. you got to wait on the Lord. you got to call on the Lord. And um, we're in the book of Romans, and it's the book that changed the world, really. And it's a section of scripture where Paul was dealing in the chapters right before Romans 8, where we are today. He was dealing with this, this real struggle, actually, a struggle about why is it that we do things we don't want to do? I mean, we really don't want to do them, but we do them. And we feel terrible. He used the word wretched. And why do we do stuff we don't want to do even though we don't want to do it? And the stuff we want to do, we don't do. We try, but we fall short. And then we feel terrible and wretched. This is coming straight from the Apostle Paul. We do this too, right? And when we do this, it's a frustrating feeling. And you can feel beat up, ashamed, and condemned. And Paul concluded last week, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, if you're a believer in the resurrected Jesus, condemnation is not your vocabulary. It's not for you. There's no place for it in your present or your future. The devil would like you to feel condemned, but to the living God, there is no condemnation. None, period. So this is a reality about about this, but Paul is coming from this place about when we do the things we don't want to do and the struggle we have on the inside, kind of like the war on the inside, He is saying that the Holy Spirit wants you to be free. The Holy Spirit wants you to be free of some things of the past. And this is important because a lot of folks miss this part. When it comes to the kingdom of God, what it's about, what it's not about, how we walk victoriously, a lot of folks miss this really important part. Paul is saying you don't just try harder. Let me tell you a little about the Holy Spirit. He mentioned the Holy Spirit four times in the book of Romans in seven full chapters, four times in seven chapters. In this chapter, 14 times. Why? Because he's going from dealing with the struggle on the inside 
to talking about victory. And Paul's like, look guys, I can't talk about victory if I don't tell you about the Holy Spirit. The bottom line is you can't have victory, you can't have freedom unless we talk about the Holy Spirit. So this is what we're setting up for if you wanna follow along. We're in Romans chapter eight. We're gonna be looking at verses five through 13 today. And he's looking at this from the, from the perspective of the things that control us. We can either be controlled by the Spirit of God or our old nature. It's a choice every day. It's really kind of based on our mindset, what we set our mind to do. And the mind is pretty powerful. Um, when we set our mind to things, we can accomplish some pretty radical stuff. Uh, I think of like the first automobile. Who is the guy thinking, you know, I have a good idea. Let's put some gas inside this thing and light a spark and see if this thing uh, actually runs, you know? Uh, the first automobiles, people were on horses passing the cars thinking this is just ridiculous. This is gonna be, this automobile thing is gonna be a passing fad. It's gonna come and go as they gallop by on their horse. They're thinking, get over it. And before you know it, they get better and better and better and better and break in land speed records. When you set your mind to things, it's pretty amazing what we can do. You think of the first uh, airplane, the Wright brothers. People were laughing at those guys. They were saying, hey, if God wanted us to fly, he'd give us some wings. You know, what are you doing? And eventually they put their mind to it and they focused and God obviously blessed their inventions and pretty soon we're sending things to, you know, around the globe, transcontinental flights. You think of putting our mind to things, we can send people to the moon, we can even split atoms. It's amazing when we put our mind to stuff. Well, in the spiritual realm, the same is true. And Paul's gonna talk about our mindset today, what we really set our mind to. This stuff doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by happenstance. It's where we set our mind. And if we're setting our mind on the things above instead of below, it's amazing what God will do. It's amazing the level of, the level of breakthrough and what the living God can do. And so we know that having the right mindset is something that God can bless, and not having the right mindset, God can't bless it. So follow along, if you will, in Romans chapter eight, we're gonna start in verse five and look at this in sections. It says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. He's talking about there's two different mindsets going on here. There's one that is uh, willing to choose God and walk with God, and he's saying that one is very pleasing to God. There's another mindset of, no, I'm fine on my own, thank you. I will do it my own way, and I won't walk with God. And there's many people in the world who say, I'm fine on my own, thank you, very much. And I know because I was one of those people for a long time, thinking, thank you, I can appreciate that you're there, but I don't need to walk with you. In fact, I had this crazy idea, maybe some of you did too, that maybe if you just kind of walk down the middle, you'd be okay. Amen. Like, in other words, I don't have to commit to you, God, but I'm not against you. I'm just going to do my own little thing over here. Uh, but I also, I'm not going to you know, I don't want the devil mad at me either, you know, so I'm not gonna be in his camp or your camp. I'm just gonna kind of fly solo, do my own thing. I don't wanna make any enemies. Just wanna have my own peaceful life and do my own thing. Anybody like that? Right. And then I discovered that there is no neutrality in the kingdom of God. 
There is no neutrality. Nations can be neutral. There's nations around the world that are neutral regarding issues. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is no neutrality. And I realized at that point, wow, I have to bust a move here. I got to make a decision. I have to either choose to walk with him or choose not to, but it is not about neutrality. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, anyone who isn't with me opposes me and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And when I realized that, I realized, wow, I've actually been working against God, even though I thought I was staying neutral. Much like many people you know, friends, family, neighbor, they think they're neutral. They think they're cool right here in the middle. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not for me. It's actually working against me. And, you know, I pray for them that they'll realize what I realized and many of you realize, that there is no neutrality. He's saying there's two different mindsets here. There's the mindset of the flesh and the ones of the spirit, the desiring the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit. Now, when he's talking about the desiring of the flesh, he's not talking about your natural, normal needs as a, as a person. It's not saying that the flesh is evil. God gave us these bodies and he wants us to live life to the fullest in these bodies. He was very intentional about this earth suit right here that he gave us. This is not a mistake. Um, so he's not talking about the flesh that way. He's talking about the desires of the flesh, the way we used to live life the way we used to live under impulse and desire and just go after anything that we feel instead of being led by the Spirit of God. And so if you're going to um, get some points down this morning about some of the control issues that people have, will I be controlled by the Spirit of God? Will I be controlled by my own nature? This ongoing struggle that people have that most aren't talking about, even in the church, we got to talk about the struggle. We got to talk about the reality that we do what we don't want to do and we try to and where do we land with this? Where, where do we land on the other side of the struggle? Paul is going there. He's going deep and the Holy Spirit's right in the middle of it. But the first point this morning, if you're a note taker, is don't let your desires dictate your direction. Don't let your desires dictate your direction. We have desires. Think about your desires. Pray about your desires. Check in with God about your desires, but some people skip all that. Their desire dictates their direction, and we can live very impulsively or compulsively. Whatever the desire that comes up is the one we're chasing, and you know what? That's a way to get nowhere really quick. You can't live in freedom. You can't live in victory when we are led by our desires that way, and that's the first thing that he's saying right here in this. Mindset comes up a lot in this passage. And he's also talking about control. And what we find out is that if we have a desire for something, pretty soon what happens is we start to develop this mindset of I am really fixated on this desire. So we start to focus on the things that we desire. And pretty soon it becomes a lifestyle. And folks might say, I didn't really choose that lifestyle. But really we did because it started with the desire and it developed into a mindset and before you know it, it's a lifestyle. And he talks about the things that control us in that order. And so he's kind of unwinding it here, saying, check those desires. Don't let them rule you. And he's building on this. Um, Proverbs 23.7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. In other words, you get yourself set on a mindset. Before you know it, you're way, way down that road, developing into a, into a lifestyle. Uh, so our thought life affects everything about the way we are, what we do, what we think, how we live. It all starts with this mindset. 
And that's why the word tells us to fix your eyes on the things above, not down below. And that doesn't mean to be not relatable. You don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You know, this is, this is about going through life and just checking desires and listening more to the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of victory and he's going to start elaborating on this. But it's important of where our mind is. Where is our mind set? Because at the end of desire and mindset and lifestyle ends up being a control that some people didn't sign up for, but they ended up walking it in any way. Our, uh, our second point this morning is let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. Let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. And the best way to do this is to get in the word more and more. I'm, I'm surprised how many Christians love God, have a prayer life, uh, are well-intended, really sincere, trying to please God and live for his glory, but aren't in his word and aren't really hearing from him regularly and aren't being filled with his word and as a result, running really, really lean and uh, wondering why maybe their mind is going this way and that. Uh, the mind is a battlefield, and uh, it's really important to get an understanding of what God's heart for your mind is. Uh, let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. And if you're in the word regularly and daily, find time, prioritize that. You'll realize that when ideas and thoughts come up, you'll check them right away. You'll say, uh, actually, that's not from God. That's not from God. Oh, that's from God. That's what his word says. Oh, this one is too. And pretty soon we start navigating our way through life with way more clarity because we start having the mind of the master becoming the master of our mind. If we get into the word, the word gets in us. And this is what happens. The heart of the father, uh, what the spirit is saying, we start, we start navigating with clarity. And this is really important. And this is where he's building on this. Now he moves on in verse nine and he gets into some more revelation on this. And this is powerful stuff, guys. This is a part in the church where, you know, some have said, some have mentioned you know, well, the church, uh, the church, people in the church are hypocrites. Have you heard this? Hypocrisy. Um, that's not my view of the church, and that's not my experience. My experience in the church is well-intended people who love the resurrected Jesus, who are trying to serve him and follow him intentionally, and that's their heart's desire, but they still fall short, and they mess up along the way, like Paul, like you, and like me, and say, why do I do the things I don't want to do? That's not hypocrisy. That's well-intended people trying to live for the glory of God. Yet we hear stories along the way of people that end up in the news and we're going, my goodness, would you look at that? That might look like hypocrisy. But I believe the church is not filled with hypocrites. I believe the church is filled with people who love the living God and are trying to live for his glory, but have struggles and stumbles along the way and are trying to get up. And that's normal. That's what the apostle Paul did. That's what you and I did. We're learning on how to navigate that and be victorious. Um, and he goes on in verse 9, talks more about this control. And he says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. There's something really cool going on here, guys, and this is some part that some folks miss this paragraph, I think. Um, 
this is saying that if you accepted Christ, if you did, you agreed to turn and follow him. You didn't just have a magic prayer one day. If you accepted Christ for who he is, Lord and Savior, his atonement, you, you decided, you, you agreed to turn and follow him. At the same time, the living God agreed to put his Holy Spirit inside of you. Not as just a little token, not as just a random, maybe I'll give you a little today or take it away. No, I will give you my spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, guys. The same, same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is inside of you. Not a different version, not a different style, not a different taste. The same Holy Spirit that had Jesus throw off death and say, get off me and stand up to new life. That same Holy Spirit doesn't visit you, lives in you. Now, this is revolutionary because a lot of people just, yeah, yeah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let's move on. Hold on a second. You got to realize you can't live in victory. You can't walk in freedom unless you understand the magnitude of this because there's so much life that hinges on this reality. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you, and as Jesus said, wants to lead you and guide you, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us, we now have a new control center. We have a new control center. It's not just the previous desires and, and whatever I'm feeling today. There is a new control center, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, living in you, trying to speak to you and I, saying, come this way today. Hold on. Have a little grace with that person. Now's the time to step out in faith. The same Holy Spirit is trying to speak life and freedom and direction in our lives, especially in these areas when it comes to the war on the inside and dealing with the old nature and the new. Constantly speaking, if we'll listen to them. And one of them, by the way, since it's talking about doing things we don't want to do and and the old nature, uh, one of them is self-control. Now, self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Self-control is when things come up and rather than functioning on desire or impulse to say, hold on a second, God, what do you think? Before you run out next time on something impulsive, say, Holy Spirit, what do you think? That's a beautiful way to stay in the zone of freedom and victory is be checking in with the Holy Spirit. But uh, the thing about the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit is that everybody wants the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Ask anyone you know. Ask an atheist if you have any atheist friends. I hope you have atheist friends. We should all know some atheists and agnostics. We should know, you know, uh, ask anyone, you know, hey, would you like in your life love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control? Would you, would you like these things in your life? I don't know a single person alive that says, no, I don't want those things. <laughs> They'd say, of course I would love more love in my life and kindness and gentleness and self-control and peace. Yeah, of course. Who wouldn't want those? See, we want these things, but this is, this is the dilemma. We want the fruits of the Holy Spirit, but we want, oftentimes, the Holy Spirit to be subject to us. And we can't have the fruits of the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit is subject to us. You see, we have to choose to be subject to the Holy Spirit. And when you choose to be subject to the Holy Spirit, it blows the lid off the Christian faith. It blows the lid off 
the life that God's talking about. It's, it's revolutionary. And there are many who um, skip this part. I, I don't know why. They just don't understand or teach it. I don't, you know, you talk about Jesus and the Father and by the way, the Holy Spirit. Let's move on now. And it's like, wait a second. Do you realize your entire victory, the way you live, the way you navigate life hinges on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? We said a couple weeks ago, he gave us the word and the spirit. He gave us a roadmap through the word and he gave us his Holy Spirit as a compass and God wants us to use both of them. And if you take the compass and put it on the side, you know, you're just kind of winging it, trying to understand the map. But when you have a compass and a map, you can be victorious in everything. It's such an important part of the life. But we have to be subject to the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, we use terms like spirit-filled. We know on the day of Pentecost, the apostles were filled with the Spirit. And yet throughout Scripture, the Bible continues to say, be filled, be filled. And we also know that the same apostles in the book of Acts that were filled with the Holy Spirit later on were filled again. Why in the world were they filled again? I'll tell you why. Like Paul, like you, and like me, we're being poured out like a drink offering. You ever go through a week where you feel like you're on fumes? Anybody in the house? Yeah. You know, you might be giving, serving, pouring out, whatever the case is, and you feel like you're running on fumes. There's nothing left to give. Of course. Time to stop. Time to tarry. Time to wait on the Lord. Time to get filled again. This comes up in scripture about being filled and filled again and being filled again and being filled again because we're being poured out like drink offerings and we need to get filled again. Now, the third point this morning builds on that is that a spirit-filled believer is a spirit-controlled believer. A spirit-filled believer is a spirit-controlled believer. Again, many people want the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. They want the fruits of the Spirit, but they would like the Spirit to be subject to them. They don't really want to change anything, but they want all the power, which is phenomenal to have the power and the anointing of God. But you can't have it if the Holy Spirit is subject to us. But, but, if we will be subject to the Holy Spirit, watch out. That's the explosive stuff you saw in the book of Acts. You saw a community who got it. You saw a community without the Holy Spirit getting filled with the Holy Spirit and changing the whole society because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit wants to make the resurrected Jesus known and he does it really well. He does it better than we can do it and what we tend to do is just try a little harder in our own strength and you know what? We end up not a whole lot different from the Pharisees. The Pharisees get a bad rap because in Scripture we read some bad things about them. We forget, though, in the early church there was a number of Pharisees and priests who came over to follow Jesus as well. We skip over that. Well-intended Pharisees and priests, Levites, loved God, served at the temple, realized, wow, the Messiah came, and they began to follow. But when we look at the Pharisees, we look at a group of religious people who tried harder and harder and harder and harder. And they tried so hard, but they were void of the power of God in them. And that's why they weren't getting it when Jesus was saying stuff. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They just tried a little harder. And they wanted Jesus to try hard like them. Don't hang out with those people. Why are you eating that on the Sabbath? Try hard like us. We are trying harder than anybody. And you ought to do the same, Jesus. 
How can you be the Messiah if you're not trying the way we're trying hard? And I'll tell you, in the faith, it's just like that, guys. If you and I think it's just about trying harder and harder and harder to attain, to achieve, we're completely missing the point. We, too, will be like Paul forever saying, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Paul's like, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. Let me help you with some victory in this area. Let me help you with some breakthrough in this area because there's a lot of breakthrough to be had. This is a really important one. The third point again, the spirit-filled believer is a spirit-controlled believer. Allow yourself to submit to the Holy Spirit more. Um, And I just want to say this, what we read in the early church, they weren't just filled with the Spirit, but they were filled again. And they were filled again. And... We're not exempt from that. We, we have no authority or autonomy to come up with our own model for church. We've got to look at the first century and say, God, that's what you did. That's awesome. <laughs> do it again, God. How many of you guys would say, do it again, God? You know, do that again. What you did back there in Acts, do that again, God. That's what we want. Um, we, too, need to be filled with the Spirit. There's going to be an opportunity at the end of the service. Um, if you're like me and you're saying, yeah, I'm running a little lean. God, fill me again. I want to encourage you now to don't run from, but run to this opportunity. There's opportunities to be filled with the Spirit. They're powerful opportunities, and I, I would encourage you to, to be thinking about that now. Um, he moves on in verse 12, and he says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live. He's talking about obligation. And we all have obligations in life. There are responsibilities, things that are required of us. We have obligations. He's saying you used to have an obligation to follow your desires. Any way they pulled you, you just follow them. We don't have that obligation anymore. That obligation's been canceled, he's saying. We have a new obligation. It's to the Spirit who wants us to live freely and fully. And that's what people don't understand about the faith, that try harder and harder and harder, and we become like a Pharisee, and we're just trying harder. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit is, there is liberty. And God is trying to tell His church something through this, not liberty to abuse, liberty to use for His glory, liberty to share with others. It's a glorious freedom. And see, some folks have an understanding that the church is about a a bunch of regimented rules, and unfortunately, that doesn't make it a whole lot different than what the Pharisees had. It isn't about that. There is freedom. There is forgiveness. There is new beginnings. There is the living God putting His Spirit inside of people, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, living inside folks. If that ain't worth admission, (laughs) I don't know what is, guys. If that's not life purpose, if that's not design, I don't know what is. Here's the thing, he's saying in this passage right here, we have this obligation and he's saying to put the misdeeds of the body to death. Now, if you and I talk about the misdeeds, the things we don't want to do, putting them to death, here we are right back at the struggle. We're right back at the issue of trying to not do what we don't want to do, but still sometimes doing it. And how? How do we put the misdeeds to death. Valid question. Very hard to do. Let's be honest about it. It's hard to put the misdeeds. Is it hard, church? Is it hard to put the misdeeds to death? Yes, it is. 
That's not hypocrisy. That's a real internal challenge, trying to follow the living God but falling short. It's hard to do it. Paul's struggle is the same one. How do we overcome? How do we walk in victory? How do we put the misdeeds to death? Underline this in your Bible, please, because it's a phenomenal section of Scripture. Verse 13. This is how we put the misdeeds to death. Not by trying harder and harder and harder and harder. He says, by the Spirit. It is by the Spirit that we put the misdeeds of the flesh to death. It is by the Spirit you live. It is by the Spirit that the misdeeds get put to death. It's not by trying harder and harder and harder and harder and making more rules or regulations and constraints. If I just do this and add, that's why Jesus said, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. They added more and more and more and more stuff just so that you can narrow your path more. And he said, it's not about that. It's about walking in the Spirit. Because when you walk in the Spirit, there's clarity to what the road is, what the road is not. is clarity to the path. And that's what he's saying. By the Spirit, only by the Spirit of God can you have victory. You cannot, as a Christian, if you believe in the resurrected Jesus this morning, you cannot have victory without the Spirit. And I don't know why that is not more common in Christendom today, in the the church at large, talking about this reality. And this is such a key aspect to the kingdom of God that people well-intended believe in the resurrected Jesus and are trying real hard and they're trying as hard as they can and it's killing themselves, but they don't know. It's not by strength nor by might, but by the power of my spirit, says the Lord, amen? In other words, it's not just try harder, Christian, get over it. And every day waking up, man, I messed up again. I'm trying, what's going on? I pray, I'm trying, I'm trying and I'm falling short and I'm feeling wretched like Paul. What's the deal? living by the spirit is how we overcome this stuff and that ought to be a journey for you it is a journey for me learning what it takes to be in the spirit and to live by the spirit and to sow to the things of the spirit Um, I would say for some of you when Jesus told the woman at the well rivers of living water can flow out of you is what he told this woman she's like what you're talking about an inner thirst that I have that rivers of living water can, did I hear you correctly? Jesus is like, yeah, ma'am, I'm the Messiah and you heard me very correctly. Rivers of living water can flow out of you. Do you know what he said that in? He said that in the context of worship. That true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That's the context he talks about, rivers of living water flowing out of people. I say that because I know sometimes we'll get here for the message thinking that's the meal That's like the main event. I think the worship is the main event. I think the worship is a time where we stand in the presence of God and he begins to do things on the inside that words cannot do. I believe the time of worship is when we draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Time of worship is when we wait upon the Lord and watch what he does. There's revelation. There's all kinds of stuff in in worship. And I know it's a, if you don't get it, why show up early for it? But I want to encourage you to start getting it. I want to encourage you to say, I don't really see why I'd be here early to just for music, because that's what it might sound like. I encourage you to sit down and close your eyes, or stand up, or just put your hands up in a, in a posture of, I surrender. I don't get it, God, but whatever you have, show me. Watch out. Watch out. Because there's a lot that begins to happen here. We're talking about life in the spirit, not life in the flesh. And these are some of the opportunities. But... Um, 
This is really cool. Many miss out on this stuff, that only the Spirit of God can give you victory. Now, we know that Jesus promised the abundant life. But if the truth were told, many of us would agree that there's kind of a big gap between the life that Jesus promised and the life we experience. Would any of you say that? Does any, any of you sense a gap sometimes between the life that Jesus promised, the abundant life, and the life we experience? There is sometimes a gap. And what we do, I believe, is we try to fill that gap. We try to get rid of that void. And there's a couple of approaches that we have as people. And the first one is we just try harder. If I just try harder and harder and harder, I'll get rid of that gap and I'll have the abundant life. I just gotta try, Jesus. I'll try harder and harder. That is the try harder approach. Another one that some people have is I'll just fake it till I make it approach. That's the approach that has everything. Oh, praise the Lord, it's going great, abundant life. Not. You know it's not. You know it isn't, but you're trying real hard to project it. It's good, praise the Lord, brother. God's good, he's on the throne. Man, I'm having a bad day. All in the same breath. That's the fake it till you make it approach. That doesn't work either. We try to fill the gap. One is to pretend that there is no gap. And there is. One could be like a church hopping approach. Like if I just find the right community, if I get around the right people, I know that's gonna fix everything. That'll be abundant life for me. We try all these different things to fill a gap. And none of them fill the gap. You know why none of these things fill the gap? Because the gap is not on the outside The gap is on the inside. And the gap cannot be filled on the outside. And that's what so many are missing when it comes to the abundant life. They're trying to fill it on the outside. Let me find a new community. Let me just try harder. Let me try this. I'll just keep doing everything. Maybe I'll read another book. I don't know. I'll just keep exploring to find out why is there a gap in my life between my experience and the abundant life that he promised because the gap is not on the outside. The gap is on the inside. And it has to do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit crying out to you and me saying, give me more room. The Holy Spirit saying, can I have more room in your life? And some are saying, I know I'd rather you be a little subject to me, but I want the blessing too, please. And wondering why there's a great divide and a gap between the abundant life that Jesus promised and the experience we're having. Holy Spirit's crying out, can I have more room? He's asking that today. Holy Spirit's saying, would you please cooperate with me? I mean, please cooperate with me. The Holy Spirit would say, I am the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. I, the same Holy Spirit, am living in you. Can I have more room, please? Would you cooperate with me? Because if you will, we're on a journey of a lifetime. And if not, there's going to be a great divide between the abundant life that Jesus promised and what you experience. And what happens, the Bible uses terms like quenching the Holy Spirit. He's still in you. But like a little flicker, quenched like a fire that's almost turned off but turned down. Oh, he'll never leave or forsake you. But we can quench him on down. Or we can be on fire like a blowtorch. It's all up to what kind of room we're going to give the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. And the Holy Spirit, guys, he's obligated to you. Know that. He is obligated to you. The question is, are you obligated to him? He's obligated to you. Our fourth point this morning and our final one is um, stay obligated to the Holy Spirit. 
Stay obligated. Learn what it means to be obligated to the Holy Spirit. He raised Jesus from the dead. He's living in you. But a lot of times we're not even checking in. We're not saying, Holy Spirit, what do you think? We're just charting our course based on desire and saying, God, bless my steps. I got all kinds of plans, God. Just jump, follow behind me, get behind me, and just bless my way. I'm a man on a mission, God. Bless my steps. Instead of saying, Holy Spirit, what do you think? Holy Spirit's obligated to you this morning. Be obligated to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, guys, we feel like maybe we have a drought on the inside, like a desert, a drought on the inside. I want to remind you, Jesus talked about rivers of living water flowing out of you. I'd suggest to you the Holy Spirit is a person, but he's like a river. Because when rivers of living water can flow and flow and flow and not have an outflow, at least according to the living God, the Holy Spirit's not saying, oops, sorry, I'm all out. (laughs) Maybe try next week, I'll have a little more for you. Holy Spirit's not saying that. He can do immeasurably and abundantly more. He can't be exhausted in his resources, the Spirit of the living God. And so he's flowing all the time. So our job as a believer is not just to try harder. Our job as a believer is to jump in the river. If the Holy Spirit is flowing like a river, our job is to jump in that river. Our job is to say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What do you want to do? I want to get in on that. Rather than, Lord, get behind me and just keep blessing my stuff. I got a whole list of things I need you to do for me. And I'm asking for all these things. Would you get behind me, God, and bless my steps? Rather than saying, Holy Spirit, if you're the river, I want to jump into the flow that the kingdom of God has here and now on this planet. I want to get in. I want to be like that book of Acts. I want to see that stuff around me in my family, friends, neighbors, people in the workplace. I want to see the kingdom come here and now. I want to jump in the river. What do you have, Holy Spirit? And I don't know about you guys. I want that more than anything. I want it for my life. I want it for your life. I want it for this church. Not to be a bunch of people who go through and maybe give God our, his, his due respect on a Sunday, which we should do on a Sabbath. We should stop. The Bible says, forsake not the gathering of the brethren. We're supposed to get together. The early church got together on the first day of week. And on that first day of the week, they'd get together and they do what we're doing now. This has been going on for 2,000 years, but this is only a piece of it. The rest begins when you leave here this morning. You end up being an ambassador for the kingdom. And if you're doing it trying harder and trying harder, we're going to be like the Pharisees, just trying as hard as we can. But if we do it in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, watch out. You become an agent of change. You become an ambassador. You become a living epistle, as the Bible says, that people read you just by looking at you without even saying anything. Like, whoa, something's going on with you. What happened to you? You look like somebody who might have met with God. Did you meet with God? Yeah, I met with God. And when you meet with him, you acknowledge what he does, he puts his spirit in you. So if you're seeing anything, you're seeing the spirit of God. You ain't seeing me because I'm not capable of a thing. I'm capable of nothing. But if we decrease, he will increase and he'll do it inside of you. And he's capable of rivers of living water flowing out of you. And so there is so much life in the spirit, guys. There's so much life in the, in the kingdom. I want to close with a story really quick of a couple of businessmen. A couple of businessmen went to Niagara Falls. And they looked at this big, enormous falls and all the water coming, crashing down at the bottom. And one businessman said to the other one, he said, Come here, I'm about to show you the greatest 
unused power in the world. So he took the other businessman all the way down to the bottom of the falls and all this water, millions of gallons, crashing down but not generating any electricity, just, just kind of being wasted. He said that is the greatest unused power in the world. And the other businessman said, oh no, that's not so. The greatest unused power in the world is the Holy Spirit of the living God. And that is true. The greatest unused power in our universe is the Holy Spirit of the living God, allowing him more room in you, through you, around you. Let that be our aim. We're gonna close in prayer. I wanna do something different. I wanna ask you guys to make a bold step. If you're like me, I need more of him. I need to be filled. I need to be refilled. There's something about waiting on the Lord. There's something about standing and saying, yep, I need more of you. I want to give you more room. I want to be subject to your spirit. I want to see you do powerful things in and through me. But I want to get behind you. I'm not going to ask you to keep getting behind my stuff. If there's anything else controlling me, I want it under my feet. I want you to be my control center. Amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.